Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. I think that one of the defining characteristics of Scott Morrison on bushfires, on the need for wage subsidies, on the rollout of the vaccine, you name it, is he never makes a decision or shows any leadership until there's an absolute crisis. Hello, lovely people of podcasts. Welcome to another episode. You are with Catherine Murphy and I am with... Anthony Albanese. Yes, leader of the Labor Party. Here we are. Here we are, yes. In a very small room. <laughs> In the pod cave, which if you're a regular listener, you'll have many reports from different protagonists about the pod cave. Look, we are in the middle of a parliamentary sitting week and the leader of the opposition... I'm very grateful to him for making the time to have a substantial conversation because sitting weeks are hell and yet here we are. So Here we are. Here we are. We're having a conversation because we do regularly, but there is an occasion to mark. Uh, in fact, it was last week. Anthony passed the two-year milestone since becoming Labor leader. Now, I think we'll start there. So two years, two years since you've assume the leadership of the Labor Party. What have you learned about yourself in those two years? I think uh, it's reinforced my view that I'm resilient. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been the easiest time to be the leader of the opposition during a global pandemic. And so having to navigate our way through that period whereby people couldn't do politics as usual mm. during the period in government, I, I had a different role as leader of government in the House. And then as a shadow minister, I had a different role as well. So you've got to bring the party with you on the, the journey that we're undertaking. Mm. The idea that we would have a clear strategy, lay it out for people to see, and then set about implementing it. It's very easy to get distracted, I think, by tactics and 24-hour uh, news cycles. Mm, by winning the day. Yeah, and remaining focused on getting elected rather than feeling very positive right up until election day. I think one of the the great disappointments that people felt and, and the movement felt it as a whole in uh, 2019 was, I guess, exacerbated by the fact that everyone thought we were going to win. Mm. So... We've had a, a range of tasks. The first was to pick ourselves up off the mat and to work through what went wrong. 
there. And then we were, I think, traveling pretty well in a very short period of time by the beginning of 2020. Mm. And then, of course, 2020 was a, a year like yeah, no, no other. other. And obviously reset the whole thing. And we'll get into what that's meant, really as we progress in this conversation. But I promise you this isn't a Dr. Phil session. I absolutely <laughs> promise you that. No, but I'm 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 interested and I think people listening will be interested too. So about yourself, you've learned resilience. What else have you learned? I, I think one of the things my mentor, as you know I think uh, Catherine was uh, Tom Uran, my political mm-hmm. mentor, and he used to say uh, two things. You've got to learn something new every day. And being leader confirms that. You do have to learn something new every day. And uh, secondly, you've got to get better as uh, a person every day. Mm. So one of the things I've learnt, had to work on, is that you do need to consult really widely. The labour movement's not a homogenous organisation. Certainly not. And you need to be consultative, be inclusive, be prepared to make calls and then take people with you. Mm. But it also has been, I think, you know, it's a, it's a challenge during 2020 when people would say, oh, well, you're not, um, the profile isn't as big as it would normally mm. be for an opposition because no one wanted us to just shout from the rooftops. No, no, but- exactly. And I want to go there. I want to go there in a degree of depth, actually. But but so, okay, resilience, consultation, uh, try and be a better person. Yep. Um, what about, because we, well, I shouldn't say we, I, because I do this for a living, I see you in this environment. I see you with your colleagues. I could tell listeners, you know, who's important to you in a professional sense in this in this zoo. But in in terms of, the journey from being a really important tactician for Labor, a councillor to a couple of prime ministers, to leading the party—that's quite—that's quite a learning curve, even for somebody of oh, your yeah. Look, experience, uh, right? Well, so, but no, no, there's a point. Sorry, in I'll, this preamble, who who do you rely on for advice outside of this environment? I rely upon very much some of the elders who who are out there, people who've been in this position people who are in this position in terms of close to a range of the premiers, mm. Mark in, in WA, Anastasia mm-hmm. and, and Daniel, mm-hmm. pretty good sources of, of advice and counsel, mm. and I talk with them pretty regularly. I rely upon some of the uh, the, the elders outside. I won't name them because it's the ones who I don't name. Oh, uh, we'll, yes. Um, well, you, then we'll, you have we'll the one in your name. Then sure. we'll be here for the next hour. Yeah. But a range of people who I served with in government and some I haven't. There's some former senior people at state level mm. at well that I rely upon, uh, both in terms of the party organisation, but also parliamentary-wise and, and uh, people in the union movement. Sally McManus was a, a member of my local branch All there right. in Marrickville many right. years ago. Okay. And uh, so I talk with Sally and people like uh, a range of other people in the union movement, Tony Marr, Michelle O'Neill, Michael O'Connor, a, a range of people who who I talk with pretty regularly. And uh, people like, I, I think I'm really fortunate to have Tim Gartrell as my chief of staff. He, of course, is the last successful ALP federal campaign director mm. in terms of 
taking us from opposition into government in 2007. And obviously uh, Kevin and Julia I speak with. Uh, I speak with Paul Keating. And I miss Bob Hawke. Mm. I, uh, I, I used to spend quite a bit of time with Hawkey. And he's a he's a great loss because mm. he was a very wise counsel indeed. Mm. But one of the things that I think as leader to give a bit of an insight without without any detail. One of the things that I do that I've had to adjust to as as leader is I'm pretty open about talking through issues and floating ideas. There was one particular meeting early on where I floated. Yeah, an idea. I think probably we should probably head in this direction. And one of the things I've had to learn is that as a leader, sometimes when you do that, people go, right, that's where it's going. Mm. And mm. they just go there. So holding back mm. um, sometimes, um, chairing meetings, hearing people's views and then doing a, a, a sum up after that is, is a difference. I and mean, the first time it happened, I was surprised because I genuinely was after people's views and they thought that me saying you know this is the direction I mm. think we should land on but but what are people's views I, I was quite prepared to change my mind that's why you consult I do think that collective processes are more important than individual making decisions mm. and that's one of the things that I think we learnt in in government when we had uh, a smaller group of people making decisions yeah. uh, during the global financial crisis. I understand why that happened, but it continued on for too long. Well, it ultimately killed Kevin Rudd's leadership, didn't it? Well, it it went on for too long. I think it was much more complex than that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it but was. certainly, I think that proper processes are important. And one of the things I've tried to bring to the leadership as well is focusing not just on the next election and winning but then shaping the government from how you operate in opposition is important. Uh, some people will say to me, Tony Abbott was the most successful opposition leader. You should be just like him. I think part of the problem with this government is the way that they acted in opposition, just opposing everything. You know, one of, one of my lines in, in when we're in government was, you know, they turned the coalition into the into the coalition, just saying no to everything. And I, I think that was uh, one of the impediments to good government. And I'm determined to make sure that we do have not just a, a government, but a government that lasts. And the great weakness of us last time, as much as I think we did some great things and left a la lasting legacy. Some of our legacy has been undone because we weren't able to weren't entrench it. Enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You weren't there long enough, and yeah. uh, and and that's anyway. I, I just think it's interesting to tease out some of those things, and so we've covered a bit of ground there. Now I'll get into the what the pandemic's done in terms of your visibility and other things and how you put yourself on the map in the middle of a pandemic. But I just want to start with a basic proposition. The ANU has been polling Australians throughout the pandemic. It's actually a really interesting long survey piece of work. The latest survey finds that about 76% of respondents are satisfied with the direction of the country. Now that's off a very high level but it's still 76%. Any incumbent Prime Minister would be delighted with that number. So my question to you is, if 76% of people in a 
scientifically respectable survey say they're satisfied with the direction of the country makes it hard to win, doesn't it? There's no plan for the future. I think when people say that, you've got to look at the context, which is that they're glad that they haven't died as a result of the pandemic and they're glad that relative to a lot of international experience, which they know about and have followed, Australia is the place, as I've said repeatedly, you'd rather be here than in Europe or certainly in the United States last year got hit far harder than we did. And so that's a credit, I think, to the Australian people and the efforts that were made. It's also a credit to the way that governments, particularly state governments, have been largely responsible for the changes that have been made, but also the way that that people have adapted, as well as, of course, just some of our natural advantages. We're an island continent. By definition, it's pretty hard for Italy to uh, lock itself down mm. in the way that in the way that Australia has, for example. Mm. So uh, you think it's sort of like that's a kind of ex- expression of we dodged the bullet, thank God, type situation? Well, yeah, people, if you look at, you know, does that translate into um, electoral uh, success for for the government, the indications are that it doesn't automatically mm. translate. Mm. It's one of the interesting things about we, about the pandemic is that gap between satisfaction and where the two party preferred yeah. numbers are. We, we had Eden Monero. We had forget about a lot of debate takes place now about polling. We had a real one with real people went in a polling booth, and a majority of them elected Christy McBain to a seat that on its current boundaries would never have been held by the Labor Party during the entire Hawke-Keating era. So I think that was quite an extraordinary outcome and it showed that the idea that people would uh, automatically uh, give support to the government of the day mm. uh, it's not necessarily just, right. just didn't, didn't flow. What about, um, so you, you foregrounded this a bit, in um, in uh, the first couple of things we've been through, so uh, you, your strategy coming in during the pandemic was to uh, obviously critique measures that the government brought in that weren't, you know, that were stupid or or not up to where you would like them to be, but not to be carping and excessively negative. In fact, you put a lot of store on that. So. Um, but now we're obviously in the business end of the political cycle. We can all see that an election is w- within sight. Uh, Labor is stepping up its degree of critique and criticism. There's much more normal political environment happening down there in the chamber now. Um, do you think there's some risks? Because you've, you've, uh, it was important to you to not be not build up a stock of that guy's an ambulance chaser, that guy's an opportunist, whatever else, right, in, in terms of establishing your leadership. But now you want to critique more forcefully. What are the risks? Well, there's always a risk in being seen as being too much an opposition, but it's important that we outline what our alternative offer for the nation is. And it's also important, I think, that our actions during 2020 
wasn't just about strategy. It was also about a genuine position of putting the national interest first. Because of the nature of Parliament, in that it could only take place by consensus, a range of, of measures, we had to change the standing orders. There were automatic pairs, for example. Mm, yeah. uh, before this current couple of weeks, there were 13 pairs still in place. So there was some debate on Twitter about, why are you pairing this person? Well, if you don't, Parliament doesn't sit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that some people didn't get. And, you know, no matter how many times it was said, you couldn't say it every day. <laughs> but we did that. And we also, I think, during 2020, put forward a range of things that really made a difference. Um, the whole idea of wage subsidies was opposed by Scott Morrison that led to JobKeeper. He said it was a dangerous idea. The increase in, in job seeker payments, uh, then called New Start at the beginning, the mental health support, the calls for the rolling out the vaccine and doing deals early on with the maximum number of pharmaceutical companies in accordance with international best practice looks like a pretty good idea today. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And and those you made those critiques. Listeners may not have necessarily heard them because there was the bandwidth was sort of Absolutely. impossible to find. But, you, but it was the right thing to do as well. The, yeah. the truth is that as well, if you're the Labor Party and you recognise that due to the power imbalances in society, the people who would get done over in terms of their workplace, the people who'd lose their jobs, the people who'd be most susceptible to a bad health outcome for them would always be low and middle income earners. And uh, we had a responsibility to people to try and look after them during this period and to advocate for them. And we did that. And uh, we did that strongly. But, of course, now, as, as I said uh, way back at the National Press Club in 2019, we, we had four stages I outlined. The first was the review that indicated we needed to be more strategic. We needed to uh, not lose ambition but have a clearer narrative and less noise and clutter perhaps behind that narrative was critical. Then that we would outline a range of our vision through the vision statements, which we did, so things like uh, net zero by 2050, we did aged care, we did democracy, uh, we did a range of statements there, jobs and the future of work. Then we'd have our platform and our process leading up to our national conference, and we did that successfully in March. And then we'd have the rollout of more and more policies, which we're doing. So tonight, in a couple of hours, I'm rolling. We're recording out, on Tuesday, just I'm, for clarity. I'm rolling out our, our youth policy right. with uh, with Amanda Rishworth, our youth shadow minister. So we're continuing to roll out uh, a series of policy announcements. And um, we'll keep that going mm. between now and oh, the end of yeah, the year. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not suggesting in asking this question that that it'll all be negative and no positive. I don't mean that because obviously you're getting to the business end in both in both respects, both in critique and in setting out an alternative. But are you nervous? No, I'm. Uh, I'm determined to put our our best foot forward and to take us to an election victory. I think that the strategic calls that we made have fundamentally been correct. Have we been perfect? Of course not. 
but the strategic call to put the national interest before self-interest was right. Have a look at state election results uh, whereby governments have won clear re-elections and that's been indicated in in the polls that, that, that that's the case as well. There haven't been surprise outcomes. Have a look at uh, where we're positioned, whereby we're competitive. Basically, you can't uh, say, you know, more, more than that. But have we not acted the way that we had strategically, then... You wouldn't be here. We could think? well have found our, ourselves in a position whereby people weren't interested in our offer mm. that we're putting forward. Now, I'm convinced that our offer will be a superior one, that we have a plan for the economy, for building back stronger for investing in Australia's future, a future agenda, and the agenda of not leaving people behind or holding people back uh, is is the right one. I think the theme of we're on your side and, and the government essentially is on its own side is coming through and the, the critique as well that we've put forward in this government that Scott Morrison won't take responsibility for anything. We're seeing played out with the Victoria lockdown and his response there. Again, the failure when it comes to properly vaccinating people in aged care, be they residents or or the workforce. Uh, His failure when it comes to establishing national quarantine is there. The gap between promise and delivery, which is another theme that we have. And then, of course, the waste and rorts which are there. So by the time we get to the next election, they will have been in government for almost a decade. They'll be asking for 12 years, longer than John Howard had, and we'll be in a position to say, what was the point of Scott Morrison's government? Where's the reforms that they put in place after three terms? Do you think they're going to get better in their fourth term? They're going to discover some reform zeal, and do you think their personnel which I think has uh, really suffered from the departure of key personnel, be they Julie Bishop or Matthias Corman or Christopher Pine and Joe Hockey and Malcolm Turnbull. And, you know, they're really left with the C team on their side. And I think our team as well, person for person, is far superior. Our policy offer will be far superior. And our critique of them will be clear and is being reinforced, I think, by uh, Scott Morrison's performance day after day, including today in Question Time, where, again, he just won't take responsibility for things that he is responsible for. What about, I spoke for a piece I wrote last weekend about how the Labor Party was travelling. I spoke to a lot of people in the caucus and around the ministry, uh, there is a feeling, and, th- and this is not uh, bowled up to you as a criticism, that somehow you've been sitting on your backside doing nothing. Uh, no one is saying that. But the government is off its peak. The government is not d- travelling as well as it has been, and you can see some vulnerabilities there, some of which you've outlined. But Labor is not yet doing well. How do you respond to that? Well, I think if you look at where we're positioned publicly... It's been a long time since uh, we were not in a positive situation in terms of the outlook going forward. And I think if you look at our strategic approach, there's there's two ways of looking at it. One is what's the general message? 
So, you know, an economy work that works for people, not the other way around. The National Reconstruction Fund about uh, more resilience as an economy, building things here, the creation of Australia as a renewable energy superpower, mm -hmm. uh, shaping change rather than being scared of change going forward. If you look at the issue of the empowerment of women, which has become a bigger issue this year, but I was talking about in my first budget reply uh, in, with a range of policy initiatives. And then you look at the specific offer that we're making. Our childcare policy is not about welfare. It's about an economic reform that will boost women's workforce participation, that will boost productivity, boost the economy, as well as being good for children. Uh, we have, I think, a range of of other measures out there, policy initiatives, our rewiring the nation policy that will transform transmission in this country, lower energy prices that then fits in with our national reconstruction fund of how you give support to both existing industries to transform, but new industries to emerge. So you're setting up the foundations, obviously, for, the, for the, your case for change. Ryan, like for la right. Labor's case for change. But the problem, though, that you continue to face is how to get yourself uh, how to get yourself more visible. And again, I'm not saying this to you in a, you know, what are you doing? I'm saying in the middle of a pandemic, this has been this has been Labor's problem. It's it's of, of course, so, but it's a problem but, for all 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 governments. Well, it's just a yes. reality no, that no, no, you it deal is, with. But how do you fix it? So you can either how do you become more well? I'll tell you what you, you you don't do. What you don't do is go woe is me, and go into a corner. What you do is continue to put your case forward, uh, do it each and every day, recognise that as we get closer to the election. These issues come through. There's a change. Why is it that the government certainly has noticed? Someone said to me, one of your colleagues, that even one of the senior government ministers said to me, this said to them uh, this week, that uh, Labor always does better when Parliament's sitting. Why is that the case? Because tonight on the news there'll be coverage about the failure when it comes to aged care workforce. I said there'd be... 13 pop-ups established. Mm. There's only been three. They're all in Sydney. There's nothing yeah. in Melbourne. Your, your so you is, get a, it's a more normal dynamic. It's a more you, you, normal. Get a, you get a run. Yeah. So you get both sides of the argument, and when there's both sides of the argument put, we have shown ourselves over a considerable period of time to do uh, better than okay. How do you resolve? And, How do you and when the election's called, guess what? It's, um, well, again, it's, it's a more it's the normal same environment. The whole way through, both sides get coverage. They have to put an argument. And the last time around, uh, Scott Morrison, no one thought he'd win. So there wasn't much accountability. And whilst some in the media will always give uh, the coalition a, a, a leg up and uh, to not provide a, a critique, the truth is that he won't get away with running around and uh, shearing sheep and wearing a, a, a cap and uh, not coming out with any policies like he did last time. And uh, whereas Labor was critiqued strongly as if we were the government uh, at that time. And uh, it will be a much more level playing field 
and when there's a level playing field, like when Parliament sits, we win. That's why th- this is a government that shuts down debate in the Parliament all of the time and will also have what you have against any long-term government. Where is the National Integrity Commission? Where is all the things that they promised? I was up in uh, in, in uh, one of one of the seats recently in Queensland and all of the commitments that they'd made to roads and bridges and various things that just haven't happened. In Victoria, they ran around and promised commuter car parks that a couple of weeks ago when I was in Melbourne, they actually put out a media release saying these five car parks were going to build in marginal seats when are not because there's actually nowhere to put the car parks. So... Uh, you think there's some dissatisfaction out there that you can play into or that you can capture or that you can represent? And, and, and that's before as well you get to particular groups. There are still more than 30,000 Australians who are stranded overseas. Uh, there have been tens of thousands others who've been told they'd be got home who weren't able to get home, who booked on flights and, and then got bumped off. We have uh, – that's before you get with specific groups like Australians who are stranded in India who, of course, the government threatened that if they tried to come back, they were going to be put into jail. I don't think that's a strategy to win over those people, uh, let alone uh, those people who missed out on JobKeeper, people in the arts and entertainment sector, people in casual work, people who literally got left behind by this government. So there are a whole range of groups out there who have been left behind, who the government said they were going to do something and and they simply haven't uh, delivered on those promises, uh, let alone how do they justify the argument about not having a National Integrity Commission when they stood up and announced it in 2018. And then, of course, there are issues associated with gender whereby we have a Prime Minister and a government that just doesn't get it and their treatment of Brittany Higgins last week by tabling a report without giving her the courtesy of a heads-up, let alone a copy of the report written by Scott Morrison's Chief of Staff, which essentially repeated the slur against Brittany Higgins' loved ones. I think those issues and that alienation that so many people feel about this government is uh, is certainly there and we'll certainly be reminding them of that and we'll be reminding them as well that Scott Morrison, just like he said, I don't hold a hose, has said that you know, it's not a race when it comes to the vaccine rollout or quarantine, and we know it actually is. You've got lingering divisions in your own ranks about what to do about tax, what to do about tax cuts. Also, energy and climate change is perennially difficult to resolve. How are you going to resolve those difficulties? Well, the, the, the way that you put it is, is wrong. Mm, don't think it's wrong. Yeah, it is wrong, because are there different views about the whole tax system amongst people who are passionate about public policy, you you define that as divisions. That's just not right. 
Mm. Um, no, it's pretty right. <laughs> no, no. Well, it's not. It's 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 the uh, the comment of a cynical journalist. No, no. no I think um, I'm the least cynical people I, the person I know, <laughs> and and I think probably one of the least cynical people you know. I I think though that the idea that people have from a starting point of what should the tax system look like will have some different views. Mm. Is is healthy? No, no, sure. Um, I'm not. I'm not suggesting and, that everyone should be of the same mind. But you're the leader, and you're going to have to resolve the differences. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll resolve it. People have have do have some different perspectives uh, on on this. We'll resolve it. Plenty of time to do so. The idea in terms of of energy policy. There's no one in our side who opposed net zero by 2050. There's no one in our side who says there will be a new coal-fired power station built in Australia. There's no one in our side uh, who doesn't recognise that the cheapest form of new energy is renewables. Are there some differences at at the margins of, of nuance? Yes, but that's fine. We're a political party interested in changing Australia for the better. And as a result, of course you would have people who aren't homogenous mm. in that. Mm. And what you do is you have processes that talk those issues through, that come to a collective decision, and uh, you then go forward. But I don't see that as being about division, as you put it. That's a policy that's about anything else you might like to name as well, whereby for just about every policy idea, people would have some nuances. That's what we're passionate about. It's one of the ways that we have a a policy process in the Labor Party, like we had at our national conference. But national conference was, I think, an extraordinary success, uh, given it brought together 400 delegates to work through issues from different backgrounds, different perspectives, and we came out with a united and really strong platform. There's a couple more things I wanted to get to, but time's against us, as is always the case in these conversations. Let's Let me just end with this question to you. It doesn't... Do we need the drum roll no, for the big ending? No, 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 no. Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I think it's more straightforward than a drum roll. It doesn't... Uh, look, who knows when the election is? Could be six months away. March could five. Be five minutes away. Oh, well, there you go. You heard it here Breaking first. News. Do you actually? Do you think Breaking it'll be next news. year? Do you? Do you, you yeah. think it'll be next year? I do. Okay. Interesting. Anyway, all right. March but five. March five happens. So what we're doing is preparing for the first Saturday in October, and uh, if it is later than that, when then we'll be even more ready than we will be by the first Saturday in October. It doesn't feel, for all the reasons that we've canvassed, right, which is nothing to do with, uh, which is just to do with events because of the pandemic, right? It's like this enormous sun or something, right? It's, It's very hard to move around it because that's what people are so focused on. And you haven't for, asked me about why I think March 5. Oh, should I ask he, you about he, that? He prompts. Oh, sorry. Why, all right. Why do you think about March 5? I think that one of the defining characteristics of Scott Morrison on bushfires, on the need for wage subsidies, on the rollout of the vaccine, you name it, is he never makes a decision or shows any leadership until there's an absolute crisis unless 
he he feels like he has to. So the budget, for example, a few weeks ago was all about the list. Where have we created problems? Aged care. Tick will do a bit there. Childcare. Oh, we'll do a bit there. We've got this problem with women. Oh, we'll do a bit there. Um, so what, you think he'll just run so, down the clock? You so think he'll what, run out of time and then... Why would a person who that is a defining characteristic of their prime ministership get on the front foot on the biggest risk of all, which is every time you go to an election, it's a risk. I feel like I could be witnessing an epic mind game playing out between you and the Prime Minister. But, okay, that's... that's, that's There's my theory. Yeah, there's that's your theory. That's out there. That's, no, 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 that's good. Back to the last question. Doesn't feel like 2007 now. Doesn't, and that's all we can know. There wasn't a pandemic in no, 2007. No, I'm, not, I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely... <laughs> so of course it doesn't. Yes, I'm absolutely aware. It doesn't feel like 2007. I'm, uh, does it feel like 2010? I'm not sure what you mean there. What um, I mean by that is that it's close, that, 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 that you are competitive for all the reasons you outline, that, that, that it's closer than people... Imagine it will be the contest, and uh, you you could come down to a penalty shootout in a minority government. It it, it feels like to me a, a, a bit more like like twenty thirteen. Oh, okay. Of a, a a government we were hanging on. It's a bit different because we had well, I you think lost that one. But... I think a record. Yeah, government lost. That's the point. Mm. You know, but we had a build up of reasons why we lost. Mm. I think this government have a build-up of reasons why they should be concerned about their prospects, even, frankly, the the diabolical press conference of Christian Porter yesterday uh, after he completely capitulated in the court case against the ABC uh, out there claiming victory. There is a, a range of problems that this government has and they are in trying to manage them. We saw that with the budget. We've seen that now with trying to just today say, oh, well, on um, it's not a race. That was something that the, uh, the chief medical said, officer yeah. said, whereas Brendan Murphy at the same time is saying in Senate estimates, no, I wasn't talking about uh, the rollout of the vaccine. At that time, mm. I was talking about other issues. So you think it's close. Do you – well, this is a ridiculous question because what are you going to say? You're going to say, oh, no, actually, mate, no, I don't think I can win. But you think it's close. You think it's close. And if it's close like that, if it's a very close in contest, if it's a mud wrestle, <laughs> can you win it? Absolutely we can. Absolutely. I think that we will have a clear objective going forward – we will be talking about how we build back stronger, both in terms of the sort of jobs and industries that we want to support, uh, the future work, skills, uh, the weaknesses that are being exposed by the pandemic in our economy. We think this is a once-in-a-century opportunity to fix those things. We think by having a clear agenda going forward about gender equality, about our IR plan for more secure work that we've put forward uh, in, in the workplace for, to become a renewable energy superpower. 
to deal with the creation of Jobs and Skills Australia, the National Reconstruction Fund, childcare. Uh, we have an agenda going forward that I think is a really positive agenda. What they'll have is, and we can see it now, they want to turn back to a negative agenda. And I'll tell you something that gives me a great deal of positive thought going forward as well. They had this budget. There's $100 billion of new spending, a trillion dollars of debt. And what were they doing the next day? They were running around and saying, the test for Anthony Albanese on Thursday night is about our tax regime that comes in 2024. And he needs to announce something Thursday night. No, I don't. I don't have to jump to their tune. The fact that they are still obsessed by us. And during the last election, they largely were just negative. It was all about us. They didn't put forward a positive agenda. And that shows by how they've performed during the last, uh, the last three years. And I, I think that contrast which is there will put us in, in good stead in any election campaign. And as well, uh, you know, measures like we're making sure we get good candidates in, uh, in the right seats around the country. We showed the difference that that makes with Christy McBain in Ed Monero. And uh, I haven't seen a, uh, perhaps I've missed it, but I haven't seen a coalition new candidate announced anywhere yet, including in seats where they have retirements. Not one. Not one. So, and they have a range of sitting members under challenge. Um, so uh, the idea they're about to call an election when they don't have candidates mm. yet is an interesting theory. Mm. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, not one around the country. Uh, I did four in four days in Queensland uh, just a week ago in, in Rockhampton, Cairns and, and north of Brisbane and, and in Brisbane itself. Mm. And we'll be continuing to do that. We'll have two more candidates being announced uh, this Friday. We're putting in place the mechanism. We have a strategy. We have a plan to win the election. But then we have a plan for Australia as well. Mm. Uh, well, as they say in the classics, only time will tell. Thank you for making the time to have this conversation. I really do appreciate it. Thank you to Miles Martignoni, who is the executive producer of the show. Thank you to Hannah, who cuts the show. Thank you to you guys for listening. We'll be back next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.